The Probe Dental Podcast is presented by the Dental Awards. The Dental Awards is the original and most respected awards programme in British dentistry. 2021 marks the 22nd anniversary of the event, and over the decades it has recognised the outstanding individuals and teams whose commitment and drive continue to raise standards throughout the profession. The Dental Awards is attended each year by more than 600 clinicians. Winning or being a finalist is a tremendous accolade, and provides a massive publicity boost to the profile of your practice and your team. After all, who wouldn't want to be treated by the dentist or dental team of the year? For more information about entering the 2021 Dental Awards, please visit theprobe.co.uk slash awards. That's T-H-E hyphen P-R-O-B-E dot co.uk slash awards. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Probe Dental Podcast. I'm James Cook and today we have not one but two guests for you. We have Dr. Corfa Hashem, campaign lead at Action on Sugar, joining us, as well as Dr. Saul Consfer of the Dental Wellness Trust. Uh, Saul was actually joining us between patients during a lunch break during the recording of this, so we're very thankful to him. We talk about their current roles and backgrounds how both Action on Sugar and the Dental Wellness Trust campaign for oral health, as well as the government's recent open consultation on total restriction of online advertising for HFSS products, that's high in fat, salt and sugar, why that's so important. But we talk about kind of the bigger picture, the conversation could have gone on for days, uh, and I mean that in the best possible way. We, we capped it off at about half an hour, but um, as I say, there's a lot to discuss there as well regarding you know, kind of branding, packaging, that sort of thing, um, and whether it's kind of down to the government, whether it's down to retailers, whether it's down to manufacturers, or just down to the consumer. Probably a bit of each. We had a good conversation actually going before we started recording as well, uh, where we were, well, both doctors were talking about lockdown, and uh, in particular, Saul was saying about some of the issues he's seen in patients where um, a simple matter has kind of escalated due to a lack of care during uh, the initial lockdown so wanting to pick right up where we left off there I hit the record button and we kind of dive right into it so here we go Dr. Korfa Hashem and Dr. Saul Confisser. Hi there, I'm here with uh, Dr. Korfa Hashem, campaign leader Action for Sugar, and Dr. Saul Converser of the Dental Wellness Trust. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi, thanks for having us. Brilliant. Um, obviously, we've been talking already uh, before recording started. Um, obviously, you talk about how things are as a dentist currently, um, Saul, and um, the effect you're seeing of the coronavirus and the lockdowns on uh, people's oral health. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think if we just kind of go back to post first lockdown um, and in the summer, you know, there was obviously a lot of restrictions put in place in terms of what we were allowed to do with regards to um, aerosol generating procedures and fallow time. And um, so, you know, that, of course, naturally was a massive backlog um, of patients and what we could see. And unfortunately, this has a um, very detrimental impact on dental health, uh, particularly I 
think, um, in my experience anyway, on child dental health. So, for example, I've seen a number of children in you know January, February or February, March before the lockdown started who maybe just needed a small little filling or a small procedure. Um, but, you know, four months into a lockdown plus the summer, people still apprehensive to come. Um, because of the restrictions, you know, the almost sort of six to nine months before they're coming in for their appointment. And that small little filling has turned in, into a large filling or, you know, in some cases extractions. Um, they've ended up having, you know, infections, pain, antibiotics, have to have emergency appointments, go to these UDC, these urgent dental um, uh, care centres. And, you know, it's, it's, obviously it's very worrying, but I think it's, Part of it, of course, is what well, huge proportion of it is uh, is associated with the diets, and I think we can all acknowledge that the diets certainly have changed in the last eight to nine months. Um, you know, you want to call it a lockdown diet, or you know, whatever term you want to use. Um, you know, it would have been more in high foods and high fat, salts and sugars. Uh, people getting into bad uh, bad routines, um, and I'm sure you know. Of course, you could you know go into more detail in terms of the. the Sort of nutritional habits and which people have which maybe you've noticed on your side of things yeah definitely um, i mean we've had um a report that's come out from public health england about um shopping behaviors during covid and it really shows that there is two significant um areas in terms of increasing alcohol consumption that's gone up about 27 percent um, and that's us purchasing more alcohol. Um, but also, uh, area that I'm more interested in is uh, the fact that a lot of savoury and um, sugary snacks have gone up too. So in terms of savoury snacks, we've got an increase of about 20%. Um, and then we've got like frozen confection. And I think that's because the data is reflected from the summer period. So we've got ice creams that have gone up again by about 17%. Um, and it's, it's, it's these types of foods that people snacking in general has increased a lot and obviously that has a big um, impact on dental health um, but also in other areas such as the increase in excess calories and risk of overweight and obesity too. But why do you think even, oh, so I was just going to say even, <laughs> I mean it, and it probably doesn't seem like it but you know there's been what the first episode of you know homeschooling parents you know bribing their children to do mm. homeschooling and you know I've, I was homeschooling for four months and you know, you did everything you possibly could to get your yeah. kids to follow a Zoom. You know, my kids are eight and six, you know, so they needed proper attention. And, and it's hard and people would you'll do what you can to, con, to bribe your child in, in some ways. And now we're going yeah. into another period of it. So, again, there's these fluctuations. And while people may have come out of it and as kids went back to school in September, things may be settled down with school meals and things like that. Um, it's a bit all over the place and there's no stability and um you know, we only have to see, I think yesterday there was some of those pictures circulating in terms of some of the the, um, the, the school meals which were provided to some of the families. And, okay, while they tried to keep them somewhat healthy, um, seemed to be a pretty high-carb diet um, yeah. and actually not a huge selection of, of healthy or healthy options anyway. Yeah. yeah. I think I agree. It, was, it wasn't even a, a large selection of food, full stop, I think. I saw one yeah. picture... Uh, of the food given to feed a family for a week and I looked at that and thought yeah. my family of four could probably do that in a lunchtime <laughs> yeah uh, I, I don't know if that says something about me or or, um, or kind of you know kind of how little that was but I think you think you kind of asked the answer the question I was about to ask there which was you know why do you think uh, kind of purchases in that you know kind of unhealthy or sugary you know, kind of snacks have 
went up during lockdown. I mean, I think, you know, you say bribing kids and I think, you know, in terms of adults as well, it's got to be the boredom and, and just kind of trying to add a bit of variety to life. Yeah, and I think also um, there's probably, it's been a stressful period for many people. So there's been a lot of emotional eating too, and people will turn to snacks to do that uh, or alcohol to do to do something like that so there's been a lot of emotional eating and just pushing down feelings with just food that you might find more um pleasurable so before we um go into kind of the organizations you both work with and and how they're working to combat this um i wondered if we could just take a second to talk about your backgrounds and your roles Uh, if we start with you corfa yeah so i'm the campaign lead for action on sugar um, we are an organization, a, a charitable organization, um, but also we do some a lot of data collection and uh, research. So we're based at Queen Mary University of London. Um, and our research area is mainly focusing on collecting data on the amount of sugar and calories in foods. We also have a salt arm that focuses on the salt side. Um, and our area is basically trying to get companies and also Um, the government to influence uh, companies to reduce the amount of sugar in in the vast majority of products because about 70% of the food we buy will have had some addition of sugar in it or types of sugars. Um, And so, yeah, it's working with them. So we've had had really successful programs and policies um, that have already happened uh, and we were really pushing for these and our data really helped bring their attention to them, which is like the soft drinks industry levy called by some the sugar tax um, and also like the sugar reduction program which is applied on many different categories of foods is to get companies to reduce the amount of sugar in them by 20 percent by 2020 so that's coming to an end now it's not being that successful compared to the sugar tax itself interesting and so um tell us a bit about yourself and the dental wellness trust so yeah i'm a trustee for the charity dental wellness trust and uh, i'm a general dentist um, in London with a a background in public health as well. Um, And the charity is primarily focused on child dental health um, and improving general health through the dental health. And our main main programs that we do are supervised toothbrushing programs. Um, We do that here in the UK, so um, across London and and the southeast. And we have a number of programs also running in um, Cape Town and Johannesburg in South Africa. and of course we do oral health education programs as well. Um, And then we, in addition to that, obviously do some uh, campaigning as well alongside Action for Sugar. um, And, um, you know, in terms of, um, you know, change to sort of government policies with regards to, um, you know, improving, having healthier policies um, that will benefit the health of of kids. And so, so I know just before Christmas, the um, it was about the government's open consultation on total restriction of online advertising um, for HFSS products. Um, can you tell us a bit about that and, and why that's so important? The work we've been doing is not really focused only on bringing sugar reduction, like getting companies to reduce the amount of sugar, but actually to look at our food environment in general. What is what is generally more affordable? What's uh, generally uh, marketed and promoted more and whether we can shift this to be on healthier products and part of this we've been calling for action on reducing um, the unhealthy foods that are promoted and advertised online on TV um, and also what's promoted in supermarkets whether it's at children's eye level whether it's at checkouts etc 
So the government recently, um, with a lot of this pressure, have responded with consulting on restrictions on online uh, marketing, and that's to just limit, so having a total restriction uh, to basically prevent companies from advertising um, products that are high in fat, salt, and sugar. Um, and then, so this is... Uh, been consulted on. There's been huge amounts of responses to it. Um, it's already concluded. It concluded before the Christmas break. Um, and it's the, the idea behind it is because children are accessing online uh, platforms all the time, anytime, um, having a total restrictions means you're protecting children regardless of when anything is shared online, whether it's an advert or, you know, a viral tube or, uh, um, sorry, a viral video or anything like that. Um, and so, yeah, we think it's, it's, it's amazing that the government's actually uh, went with a total restriction instead of trying to, like, allow some like certain times and avoid other times when actually you know everything's on demand now you can watch it whenever yeah. you want so it sounds similar to um I, I guess a ban on you know kind of high in fat salt sugar products being advertised on television before say 9 p.m watershed but only now online obviously as you say things are on demand so children are accessing it anytime anywhere yeah and also because they've seen like repeated reviews um, and looking at the uh, viewing data, it shows that, um, you know, it's accessed whenever, but also even if you have like, a, oh, so the TV restriction was kind of applied that if there was more than like um, a certain amount of children watching, then if it exceeds that, then it would be categorized as a children's show. And therefore you're not allowed to advertise during those. However, if you try to apply something similar on, online, you'll just have a massive percentage of children still being exposed to that kind of advertising. By having a total restriction means you're protecting all children, you have a level playing field, and there isn't some children being exposed to it and others not. Right, okay. So, I mean, in terms of, on television then, is it still the case that it's only after watershed, or are they, is there like a kind of more of a blanket plan? Yeah, so um, a couple of months back, the government consulted on extending to the 9pm. Um, before, it used to be applied only to children's shows and their category or how they set the criteria for, the, for it was kind of a percentage. So if the general viewers of this show are above 25% are children, then you have this restriction applied. So no products that are high in fat, salt and sugar are allowed to advertise. That's why the majority of children shows you don't see in those kind of adverts. But now, but then we argued that actually there were many, many family shows like X Factor, which you had uh, still, you had a, a very large proportion of adults watching it. But you had those adverts for, you know, for pizza, for chocolates, etc., still being shown because of this high percentage of adults, viewers. Um, and so it essentially wasn't protecting children when they were watching family shows. So then the government also, a few months back, before the online um, restriction one, consulted on actually extended that to 9 p.m. so that any show, any family show, will still have these same restrictions applied to it. Um, so, But that's, again, it was under consultation. The government haven't 
actually gone ahead to say we are definitely doing the 9 p.m. But we're hoping that the response to this consultation will mean that they would go ahead with that. It's fantastic. So how else at the moment? What other um, kind of campaigns are you looking at? Obviously, we, we talked about lockdown. Has, has anything sprung up as a result of, of what we've seen there? So it's really been a very busy year in terms of government consultations on many different areas that will really help improve um, our diets and what we're eating. Um, you know, I've, I've mentioned already this online restriction consultation, also the TV uh, 9 p.m. watershed one. Um, before that, there was also uh, a consultation on uh, labeling, so nutrition labeling, and whether by uh, leaving the EU, we have a bit more, um, probably one of the only benefits, a bit more power around what kind of food labeling we have. Um, and so there was a consultation on this to look at whether there are going to be any um, changes that we can make that can make our nutrition label on products even more user-friendly. Um, so we, we responded uh, to, to that. Um, we're big advocates of the color-coded link on front of pack of products and we want that something to be um, mandated and not for companies to pick and choose whether they uh, will have it on their products or not. Um, so yeah, um, I mean, yeah, it's been a very busy, busy period um, responding to these and collecting the evidence for them. I think also the, um, the you know, restriction on the, the, the two-for-one, you know, the multi-pack uh, sales and, um, you know, at the offers at, you know, the checkout locations. I think that's very significant because, you know, in terms of consumer habits and when they're buying things and what they're buying, obviously particularly at the moment with regards to discounts and, and cheaper offers. Um, I think well, obviously we hope that that's going to have a big impact. Um, you know, you think, well, actually, maybe they should be encouraging um, the healthier options to be made available at the counter um, and the healthier options to be, um, you know, having the discounts and the two-for-ones, um, you know, to rather drive a more healthier public policy in that way. Yeah. Um, that consultation is happening right now on promotions. And that's something also we've been pushing for and we're glad to have, you know, got to this stage where the government is trying to commit to doing something about it. Um, and that's, you know, changing what, um, changing the in-store food environment uh, inside supermarkets to be healthy and trying to really promote and encourage people to opt for healthy options because for so many years we've been just preferring you know, like it has a big impact by seeing a product repeatedly in a certain place in a supermarket, they know that's what people respond to that and will buy more of those products. And um, for so many years, those products have always been the unhealthy ones that have the promotions on them. I think the interesting thing also, particularly this time of year, you know, we talk about all the seasonal, um, you know, the coffee shops, the seasonal drinks and which are just such high um, in sugar content. You know, some of them have got sort of two to three days sugar allowance. And, you know, you'll still see children going and consuming these hot chocolates from whichever, you know, um, coffee chain it may be. And I think it's just trying to get these um, shops on board to understand that actually the contents of their drinks are incredibly detrimental to health. Um, and they need to be making modifications for that. They also need to be signposting and making the consumers aware, actually, of what's what's in there. Um, yes, I know, obviously, there is uh, the food labelling, but 
Um, I don't, certainly do not think it is clear enough when you're going into these types of places um, with all the seasonal type products. Um, you know, and then of course it's just sort of general behaviour change. You know, we want to, um, you know, encourage people to make the healthier choices. Obviously, the obesity strategy. Um, you know, late no, mid last year. Um, you know, encouraging healthier options, encouraging people um, to to make better decisions. Um, and I think it's it's very difficult, obviously, at the moment with with everything going on um, to get behaviour change. But we do want. To really encourage people to make healthier choices and from a you know obesity from diabetes from heart disease and of course you know from a dental health perspective and i think it's it's good that the dental side is being um, slowly included in these conversations now i don't think it ever really was um as much as it should be um of course we want it um to be you know part of the conversation the overall converse, uh, conversation you know we know I think 2018-19, there was sort of 45,000 hospital extractions um, for children. Um, so the vast majority of those would have been due to uh, dental decay um, and dental infections. Um, you know, that's a cost of over 40, 40 odd million pounds a year to the NHS. Um, you know, and again, putting additional strain and, and unnecessarily um, using up resources. So all of these um, strategies, which Quarters obviously mentioned and the different consultations there they're definitely all steps in the right direction and yes you know there's more things which can be done on top of them but um it's good to see that um, it is now being you know taken seriously yeah there seems the government's on board but i think you know kind of as going back to what corfer was saying about the traffic light system for example being um i think optional that the manufacturers can pick and choose when they put on i mean i know i personally find that very helpful because if there's not a green orange or red i'm not entirely sure what the numbers mean every time and just how good something is for me um so i think you know with that in mind how much more pressure do you think needs to be put on suppliers um retailers and and also you know what tips would you provide for you know, members of the public so i go um so in terms of labeling um it, it is a challenging area and actually pressure does work so for many years we had big cereals companies breakfast cereal companies refusing to put that kind of labeling um but they finally you know came around a few years um ago to start doing it and really the more companies that embrace this and put it on their products the easier it is for us to make a comparison because we're We've had supermarkets agreeing to do something like this, but supermarkets products will always sit next to a branded product. And if you can't make that comparison very easily, then what's you know what's the point? Um, so really mandating it and getting it, you know, all companies to have the same type of labels to make it easy for us as consumers to make a comparison is very important. Um, but at the same time, we know that those kind of um, those kind of policies have a, a limited impact because generally the more well-informed people are going to be using it um, and there is a risk of kind of health inequality um, and so really you need companies you need to put pressure on companies to actually change their products themselves to improve them so that the, the benefit is across the whole population not just you know me or you because we're more health conscious um, so yeah, there is a lot of pressure, and that's really one of the key areas for us is actually by collecting data on 
the products, their sugar levels, publicizing this is really putting a lot of pressure on companies. And the companies respond in two different in, in two different ways. Some get quite frustrated, annoyed with it, and others might be like, well, we didn't realize that we were that bad, so we'd really like to talk to you to see how we could improve our products. Uh, and if a year or so later, look, we have improved it. This is probably, this is the best, you know, this is the best we could do right now, but we're working on on shifting, reducing sugar or reducing calories in these types of products. So it definitely works. We've had many, many case studies where it's working, um, and but it needs to continue because, you know, there are like, what, over 100,000 products on supermarket shelves. Um, it's a never-ending challenge. So what you're saying is that uh, consumers should stick to fresh fruit and veg. You know where you stand, at least, I suppose. <laughs> possible I'm, yeah. I'm i'm very realistic about this you know i i think there will be times when you would have to rely on products that are processed in a certain way um that are convenient more than cooking from scratch yeah. at times um but it's you know these products will continue to exist yeah. and they will continue to you know there will be some consumer demand for them um and therefore it's not just about putting increased pressure on the consumer to make that informed choice although that is important but also putting pressure on companies through government to try and get them to do the right thing and improve their products do do you think labeling can be improved you know kind of any further than the traffic light system like for example instead of having i don't know number of grams per unit of salt sugar whatever you know having say like a percentage and that's the percentage of your daily intake so say you have a snickers bar and it has a 56 percent next to it that's 56 percent of your daily sugar allowance people will then know oh i'm really going overboard with this yeah um i definitely agree um the challenge with that is actually our sugar reference intake that guideline that companies will say well it's an x percent of that is actually not in line with our population recommendation. It's a long story, but that we had our labeling system set, then a revised recommendation for what we should be eating came. And we haven't got to the stage to revise our labeling regulations to to, to make it more um, well-informed for, for, for the consumer. So if I can give a quick example, if you have a can of your typical cola drink, it will say it's like, I'm actually not sure what it say, but it will say, it won't say it's like maybe 50% of your reference intake. It contains 35 grams of sugar. It's about maybe about 50%. I'm not sure. But if it really is taken into account, the revised guideline, maximum guideline of sugar intake, it would say it's like 110% of your reference intake. It's entire, you know, it's your the entire amount of sugar that you can be consuming in a day is already in this can so obviously that's not on the label um, because the regulation hasn't been updated to make companies do that and that's an area that definitely labeling can be improved with and the labeling consultation that we had we voiced this that's very interesting so i mean i should also go back and point out that i don't actually know the daily intake sugar wise of a snickers bar so and there's other chocolate bars available um <laughs> the maximum intake for an adult is only 30 grams right Your typical can of cola contains 35 grams right okay so obviously we're seeing a lot of you know kind of soft drinks now coming out of the zero sugar 
versions as well. I mean, are they kind of any better for people's health? Do they have other kind of drawbacks at all? Yeah, so I, I did say I'm quite realistic about this because there are some people that want to have these drinks and will continue wanting to have them. So if you're that kind of consumer, then you should opt for the sugar-free option. So so there's also, I know that there's the, obviously sugar-free and diet drinks, but we also need to consider the acidity levels um, of a lot of these drinks and how destructive that is. And, you know, I see, I've seen children five, six years old consuming this, you know, the parents are fine, it's a, it's a diet drink, it's a diet fizzy drink, whichever one it may be. Um, but you have to reinforce that actually there's, the pH level is so destructive and so damaging, um, and particularly on a child's tooth, which is that much more fragile and, and the enamel is much thinner, they're more susceptible to tooth wear in that respect. Um, so if you just take the sugar out of it for, for a moment, um, you know, these drinks, are, they're not healthy. They are no. without a doubt detrimental to the child dental health, if we just focus on children, of course, yeah. um, which ultimately makes them more susceptible to teeth fracturing, breaking, you know, decay as a result. Um, and then the, the, you know, the subsequent dental issues. Um, you know, in, in my eyes, I think that, you know, these fizzy drinks, be it sugar or, or sugar-free, should be considered you know, just as damaging to a child's dental health as, you know, you as like a, a can of beer, for example. You know, you're not going to give a child an alcoholic drink because we know exactly how bad it is going to be for their, you know, in, on so many levels. So why is it acceptable to give them um, one of these sugar-free um, or, of course, you know, normal sugar drinks? Um, you've got the sugar, you've got the acidity, you've got the caffeine. You know, these children have... Uh, you, you're essentially dosing them up with you're, you're fueling them up with with drugs which are just you know they're not good for their mental health as well um, yeah. as well as the physical health which is really really important to consider you know how's a child supposed to be able to go home after school be given a snickers bar or whatever you know you reference and and a you know caffeine sugar laden drink and then maybe do their homework or you know whatever it may be it's, it's multiple layers and um i do think that of course, there was, you know, consultations with regards to energy drinks under the age of 16. And, you know, I think at some point we need to be having the same conversation with regards to all types of fizzy drinks. Um, because, you know, I know that's a, it's a different beast entirely um, to yeah. take on. But, you know, if we are going towards the way of trying to have healthier um, public policies, public health policies, um, we need to be looking at all of the things which are have essentially infiltrated um, child's um, health, you know, the decisions which we make for what we're feeding our children. Um, And, yeah, it all needs to be included. Yeah. What I would clarify is, obviously, what I said about um, if you're used to it, you can have it, but, you know, have the sugar-free option. That applies only to adults. Our guidelines are quite straightforward. When it comes to children, they shouldn't be having fizzy drinks, full stop. Um, and that's, you know, it's it's endorsed by Public Health England, Department of Health. That's what that's what it is. Um, and yeah, definitely children shouldn't be having those types of drinks at all. Um, but if you're an adult that do tends to have it as part of your diet and you're struggling to take it out, then perhaps opting for a sugar-free option. But ideally, you shouldn't really be having those drinks full stop. But it's about, you know, it's a journey and a gradual change. Um, and the gradual change is to opt for them in the long run is to actually have them only occasionally. Hmm. I mean, I guess obviously it would help if you could say remove branding entirely from those types of 
snacks and treats as well. Have it plain, you know, like the Tesco basics or, you know, yeah, packaging. Course, on... like, yeah, packaging plays a big role and brands play a massive role, yeah. I think it does. It's where supermarkets like Audi actually, I think, have been very clever because their own brand looks just like the one that you would get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, from a known brand, but... um. I mean, I guess that would be the ultimate. Obviously, I don't see that happening in a free market. Um, so really, it comes down to the consumer at the end of the day making the right decision. Yes and no, but I think we could do a lot to change that environment. Mm. And all these consultations that we have will have that will help in that change. Um, there is some. There are things to do on packaging that we are also working on. Is around removing cartoon characters. So you've got countries, some um, South American countries, that have made companies like Kellogg's to not have any of their cartoon characters on pack. And that will have a big impact. Yes, they can continue having their colourful colours, but actually the cartoon characters or the mascots of these brands do have an influence. I remember when I was a child, they had an influence. Um, and so making companies remove them from the packs so when a child is in a supermarket or when a child sees it on a, on a breakfast table or, or whatever, they don't have that emotional connection with that product as they would have uh, done before. Um, so, yeah, there is something, there is a lot to be done packaging. Uh, it's not getting to the level of making them, you know, like plain packaging, but having cartoon characters on products that are particularly unhealthy for children that are high in fat, salt and sugar seems slightly immoral. They shouldn't be doing that because you don't want to encourage children. So most companies have a large portfolio of products, so they can shift those mascots to be on the healthier products. But there's still opportunity to do that. It's actually not having them on the particularly unhealthy products. I think you've also got the, um, the sponsorship of uh, certain events, for example, you know, the Football World Cup, um, probably one of the, you know, most watched events in the world, sponsored by um, one of the least healthiest drinks in the world. Um, you know, this is a, a an event which is supposed to be promoting healthy, you know, lifestyle and Fitness. exercise yeah. and sport. Um, so it's a slightly ironic. And then, of course, you know, you have other fast food chains and um, energy drinks, etc., which have sponsored the Olympics, which, you know, um, you know, so that's obviously on a much larger scale. Of course, there's, you know, you've got the sort of the power of marketing and advertising, which you're dealing with there. But again, you know, you can go from the much sort of the local level and, and things like obviously cartoon characters and, and essentially emotionally um, getting children attached. And then, of course, the wider picture on a global scale, um, the advertising marketing of these events. Yeah, basically it's a whole can of worms and then, you know, you just you just have to keep trying to um, hit all these different targets to try and change our environment to be healthier because all of these little things are having an impact. So I say, I think you know, Tony the Tiger, he's going to, he needs to find a new new vocation and Frosties isn't the way for <laughs> I had a Tony the Tiger badge when I was a kid because that's one thing I've noticed since I've grown up is the toys are gone. They don't, they don't come with a free yeah, toy anymore. Yeah, the toys are definitely gone. Yeah, I remember the toys. <laughs> Okay, so obviously, I mean, you know, I feel like we could we could carry on talking for hours here. Um, but where can where can people listening find, um, you know, kind of what Action on Sugar is up to and, and Dental Wellness Trust online? Yeah, so 
we have our website, um, which is um, actiononsugar.org. Um, we also have an Instagram account, so that's like more um, more of a fun platform to talk about some of our policy areas. Hopefully, we, we are able to um, put it in a in a in less of government consultation terms that are very tedious, um, which is um, action. Um, what is it? It's action on salt and sugar. It's very long, but that's the name. Um, and yeah, um, we're also on on Twitter as action on uh, sugar. Um, yeah, just Google us to find most of them. And yeah, the Dental Wellness Trust. So we are yeah dentalwellnesstrust.org, and of course also have a Instagram and, and Twitter by the same name, uh, Dental Wellness Trust. Um, and yeah, you know people can can get in contact if they want to know more and. Of course, if people work with schools or want to get in touch with schools to try and get them signed up to supervised toothbrushing programs, which, um, of course, at the moment have all, you know, taken a bit of a, a bit of a hit. But there are still some schools participating in them with the children who have gone in because um, they still require the, the support. Um, then, by all means, they can get in touch. And if I may, sort of just very quickly, almost like a little bit of an appeal, we've we've have been distributing toothbrushes and um, toothpaste. We did about eight thousand over the Christmas holidays. Um, to local nurseries and schools to distribute to their families and really asking any dentist who may be listening to this who have spare stock of um, samples of toothbrushes and toothpaste who we all get given thousands throughout the years um, sitting in boxes just in the back storage room if you do have any spare we are asking to either contact us so we can distribute them for you or please contact your local schools or community centers and, and offer them out because um, you know even food banks because we're getting a lot of people getting in contact to say actually toothpaste is one of the the most expensive things which they're finding from a you know healthcare product so yeah please please do get in touch that's right i think that's one thing people can forget actually is obviously a food bank food in its name but of course you know toothpaste and, and other essentials are, are needed by the people that need those so thank yeah. you though Thanks for having us. Well, yeah, no, thank you very much for joining us, uh, for joining me today, both of you. Um, I look forward to speaking with you again soon, and please keep me updated. Definitely. Thank you very much thank for you. having me.